Amen. All right, well, we're there in Daniel chapter number six. Keep your place there. That's our text for this morning. But go with me to the book of Proverbs just real quickly. Proverbs chapter number 22. If you open up your Bible just right in the center, you're more than likely following the book of Psalms. And right after the book of Psalms, you have the book of Proverbs. Proverbs chapter number 22. And we are going through a series. We're now, uh, I think this is our seventh week on a series on the subject of stewarding life. And... Um, Of course, the word stewardship means to manage, and we're talking about the management of life, the stewardship of life. God has given us resources that he desires to manage for his uh, kingdom. And uh, the first couple of weeks, we kind of just talked about stewardship and an overview of stewardship. We looked at the parable of the unjust steward, but the last several weeks, we've been very practical in different areas of life that we should be stewarding. We talked about the stewardship of time the stewardship of health, the stewardship of relationships. And last week, we talked about the stewardship of our finances. This week, I want to speak to you on the subject of stewarding our testimony, stewarding our testimony. And the truth of the matter is, you've got a testimony and I've got a testimony. And uh, our testimonies need to be, they are a resource that we need to manage for the glory of God. And we read there in Daniel chapter 6, and we learn about Daniel and his good testimony. And we're going to learn from Daniel how to steward our testimonies properly. Usually when you go to Daniel 6, you deal with the lion's den. We're actually not going to deal with that part of the chapter. We're going to deal with just a few verses uh, before that. But before we get into that, I want to just look at some foundational verses on the subject of our testimony. Uh, Foundational verses on the subject of our testimony. If you're there in Proverbs 22, I'd like you to look down at verse number 1. Proverbs 22 and verse 1 says this, A good name is rather to be chosen than great riches. Proverbs 22 and verse 1, A good name is rather to be chosen than great riches, and loving favor than silver or gold. When the Bible says they're a good name, it's talking about what your name represents. When people think about your name, when your name is spoken, when, they, when your name is spoken at church, when your name is spoken at work, when your name is spoken among family members or friends, what do people think about you? Do they think there is an honorable man, there is an honorable lady, there is someone of, in, of, of character and of integrity? Or do they think, don't trust that guy? Or do they think, that lady will stab you in the back? Or do they, you know, what do they think When your name comes up, and here in Proverbs we're told a good name is rather to be chosen than great riches. God says it would be better for you to have a good reputation than for you to be rich. Because a lot of people get rich by doing things that are not good, by doing things that are are deceptive or illegal. And God says a good name is rather to be chosen than great riches. Keep your place there in Proverbs. We're going to come back to Proverbs later on in the sermon. So if you could put a ribbon or a bookmark or something there, uh, I'd appreciate it so we can get back to it quickly. But go with me to the book of Ecclesiastes, just one book over. You're there in Proverbs. Uh, Go to Ecclesiastes chapter number 7 and look at verse number 1. Ecclesiastes 7.1. Ecclesiastes says almost the same thing. I just want you to notice the emphasis on this in Scripture. A good name is better than precious ointment and the day of death than the day of one's birth. A good name is better than precious ointment. And again, God is emphasizing for us that our names and what our names represent and the testimony of our lives should be more important to us than great riches, should be more important to us than precious ointment. And in this verse, he gives us a hint about having a good name. He says, and the day, notice what he says at the end of verse 1, and the day of death than the day of one's birth. He's saying the day of death 
is better than the day of one's birth. And, you know, we don't really see it that way as humans, right? We, we celebrate the birth of a child, and we should. You know, we celebrate birthdays, and we see death as a bad thing. But really, death, for those of us that are saved, is the beginning of a great thing. You know, going up to heaven and living uh, in our eternal state with God. But here we're told the day of, of one's death is better than the day of one's birth. And the, the idea is this that even if you don't start right, you can end right. Even if you don't get off with a good name at the beginning, you can end with a good name at the end. Look at verse 8, same chapter, Ecclesiastes chapter 7. And look at verse number 8. The Bible says this, Better is the end of a thing than the beginning thereof. Better is the end of a thing than the beginning thereof. You know, I hope the, the end... Because we, all, we know all good things come to an end, right? There will one day come an end to Verity Baptist Church. I hope that the end comes with the tribulation and the rapture, right? I hope our church never falls apart even after my death. I hope it continues on. But, you know, I hope that the end of Verity Baptist Church is better than the beginning of Verity Baptist Church. I hope the end of my life is better than the beginning of my life. Because better is the end of a thing than the beginning thereof. So we see the emphasis in Scripture upon having a good, name. It's better than great riches. It's better than precious ointments. And you, you say, well, I didn't start off right. I didn't start off my Christian life right. I didn't start off my life right. It doesn't matter how you start. It's better how you end. And I want to give you this morning, keep your place there in Proverbs. Go back to the book of Daniel. I'd like to give you three thoughts from the life of Daniel in regards to how to steward our testimonies, our testimony properly. And I'd like you to write these down if you are able to, if you've got a place that you can write down, take down some notes on the back of your course of the week, there's a place for you to write down notes. And I'd like you to write these statements down. Look look at Daniel chapter number six and look at verse number one. Daniel chapter number six and verse number one. Notice what the Bible says. Keep your place there in Proverbs. We're going to come back to it. Go to Daniel chapter six and verse one. The Bible says this, it pleased, it pleased Darius. Darius is the king at this time to set over the kingdom and 120 princes, which should be over the whole kingdom. And over these three, and over these, talking about over the 120 that he put in charge to rule the kingdom, he said over these three presidents, so he's got three guys, he's got the whole kingdom under the authority of 120, he's got three guys who are running the 120, and then he says this, of whom Daniel was first. He put Daniel as the number one leader of the nation other than himself. He put Daniel in charge. And you got to understand that Daniel, we, we are coming into the end of the life of Daniel. Daniel has already lived through the reigns of Nebuchadnezzar, Belteshazzar. He's now living here in the reign of Darius. He will even live into the reign of Cyrus for a little bit. And here Daniel, as an old man, is put into this position of authority. The Bible says that the princes might give account unto them, and the kings should have no damage. Look at verse 3. Then this Daniel was preferred above the presidents and princes. The Bible says that Daniel was preferred. Darius liked him better than the other people, than the other presidents, than the other princes. And keep in mind, these presidents and princes were, were good at what they did. They had been uh, uh, given a place of authority and they would given a place of promotion. But Daniel was preferred. Why? Notice what it says. Because... Notice these words, and you, if, if you don't mind writing in your Bible, you ought to underline these words in your Bible, because an excellent spirit was in him, and the king thought to set him over the whole realm. 
I want you to notice that Daniel had a good testimony. Daniel had a good name. When people brought up the name of Daniel, they said, that's a good man. That's a good guy. In fact, he had such a good testimony that this king wanted to put him in authority over the entire realm, over the entire kingdom. And one of the reasons we're told here that Daniel had a good testimony was because an excellent spirit was in him. And listen to me, if you want to have, and I would hope this morning that you want to steward a good testimony for the glory of God and that you want your name. Because look, as as a Christian, we represent the Lord Jesus Christ. We are ambassadors for Christ, and we represent the Lord Jesus Christ. We represent, you know, God, and, and we should want to steward our testimony properly. And here's point number one this morning. In order to steward your, point, your, your testimony properly, we learn here from Daniel that his attitude was right. He had a good attitude. His attitude was a right attitude. His attitude was a good attitude. The Bible says that he had an excellent spirit was in him. And you know, before we even get into the godliness of Daniel, let's talk about the fact that people like to be around Daniel. When people got around Daniel, they said, man, that guy, has good, he has a good attitude. He has a good spirit about him. There's something about him that I like. His, he has an excellent spirit in him. And you know what I've noticed today is that a lot of Christians, they might be saved and they might be godly and they might be walking with God and living for God, but they just have a rotten attitude. And you can appreciate their walk with God and you can appreciate their faith in God, but a lot of times you just don't want to be around them because they just have a bad attitude about life. And look, part of your testimony is ensuring that people can say about you that there is an excellent spirit about you, that there is a good attitude, that your attitude is right. Now, let me give you just real quickly three thoughts in regards to how to, you know, what characterizes a bad attitude. Keep your place there in Daniel. You've got your place in Proverbs. I know I'm telling you a lot of things uh, to, to hold your place in, but go to 1 Samuel chapter 25. 1 Samuel 25. If you're able to, Keep your place in 1 Samuel 25, because we're going to leave 1 Samuel, and we're going to come back to it. I know I'm saying that a lot, but we're going to leave Samuel, we're going to come back to it. We're going to leave Proverbs, we're going to come back to it. We're going to leave Daniel, we're going to come back to it. If you can figure out how to do it, uh, put up a bookmark or something there in 1 Samuel 25. But let me say this. People will consider you having a bad attitude when you are contentious. Contentious people have bad attitudes. And what are we talking about when we're talking about someone who's contentious? We're talking about someone who always wants to fight, who always wants to argue, who is always negative, who there's always something wrong. You know, I've learned as a pastor that every decision I make will be criticized by somebody. You know, whatever, you know, whatever advice I give to people, whatever I tell, someone else is going to, you know, some people are going to think, that was the best advice you could have gave those people, and then someone else is going to be, I thought that's the worst advice that you could have gave those people. And you say, well, Pastor Manus, how do you deal with that? Well, I always deal with it like this. You know, whenever I uh, uh, give advice or when someone asks me for a question and I give counsel, you know, I always have people telling me, that's great, and I've got people telling me, that's bad. And, you know, you say, well, what, what do I tell the people who tell me that's bad? I just tell them, okay, well, listen, ma'am, when you're the pastor of the church, then you can give whatever advice you want. You know, but they asked me what I thought, and here's what I think. And, you know, and here's the thing. A lot of times it's easy to give advice when you're not the one that has to deal with the counsel at the end. 
when you're not the one that's trying to help people get their lives put together, when you don't see, you know, the, the, the way that, that the road goes in the lives of people when they make certain decisions. But listen to me, you ought to be the type of person who's not contentious, who's not always mad. You ever met somebody who's, don't raise your hand if they're sitting next to you, but you ever met somebody who's just always mad about something? They're just always angry about something. Nothing is ever good. Nothing is ever right. They always just didn't do it right. They didn't, you know, I could have done it better. Hey, listen to me. When you live your life like that, people are not going to like you. And you say, why, why do I care if people like you? Well, you should care because it's your testimony. And I would submit to you that Daniel, who was one of the greatest men who was used of God, was a likable guy. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, Nebuchadnezzar said that he found them ten times better than all the princes of Babylon. Joseph was liked by the people that he worked with. David was liked by the people that he worked with. And it doesn't make you any more godly or any more fundamental that you are a jerk. You know how you can take strong stands in the faith and, just, and still be nice and polite and kind? and a likable person, and have an excellent spirit about you? Are you there in 1 Samuel 25? Look at verse 4. Let me give you an example of this for males, because, you know, males can have a tendency to be, you know, contentious. And males can have a tendency to be grouches, you know? And, and again, we're not talking about standing for the things of God. We're just talking about your disposition, your temperament. Are you that guy that's always mad? Are you that guy that's always upset? 1 Samuel 25, and look at verse 4. The Bible says here, here we're, we're learning a, a story of David and Nabal. And we'll read it so you can get the context. But in 1 Samuel 25, and verse 4, the Bible says, And David heard in the wilderness that Nabal did shear his sheep. And David sent out ten young men. And David said unto the young men, get, get you up to Carmel and go to Nabal and greet him in my name. Now notice, the emphasis there is in my name. Why does David say, greet him in my name? The reason is because David was a very famous man in the nation of Israel. David was the man that killed Goliath. David had a good reputation. And David is hoping that the way that he, the things that he has done for others will come back on him because he's in a place of need right now. He needs some help. And he says, Nabal is doing well. Send, you know, and he sends these men to greet him in my name. Look at verse 6. And thus shall ye say to him that liveth in prosperity. Nabal's doing well financially. Peace be both to thee, and peace be to thine house, and peace be unto all that thou hast. And now I have heard that thou hast shearers. Now thy shearers, uh, thy shepherds which were with us, we hurt them not. Neither was there aught missing unto them. All the while they were in Carmel. Ask thy young men. So David is telling Nabal, ask thy young men. And they will show thee, wherefore, let the young men find favor in thine eyes, for we come in a good day. It's a good day for Nabal. He's, it's his payday. He's getting paid. He's making money. I pray thee, whatsoever cometh to thine hand unto thy servants, and to David, the, and to thy, notice what he said, and to thy son David. David is saying, David is saying, I was out there with your shepherds, and we took care of them. We made sure nothing was missing. We protected them when they needed protection. And he's saying, we didn't do that for, for gain or for cost, but we did that just to help out. But you know, now we are in a place where we need help. And he's saying, I'm hoping that you will lend to us. I'm hoping that you will help us. I'm hoping that you will be a blessing to us in return for being a blessing to you because now we are in need and you are living in prosperity. Look at verse 9. And when David's young men came, they spake to Nabal 
according to all the words in the name of David and seeks. And Nabal answered David's servants and said, notice how Nabal answers. He says, who is David? And you got to ask yourself this question, really? You never heard about David and Goliath? Really? You haven't heard of the greatest, you know, warrior that your nation has? He says, who is David? And who is the son of Jesse? There be many servants nowadays that break away every man from his own master. And it's funny because he's like, who is David? And then he says, there be many servants nowadays that break away from his master. Because at this time, David is running away from Saul because Saul is trying to kill him. And here's the question I have for Nabal is, I thought you didn't know who David was. It's funny how he's like, well, who is David? But then you seem to know everything about him. Look at verse 11. Shall I then take my bread and my water and my flesh that I have killed for my shears and give it unto men whom I know not whence they be? So David's young men turned their way and went again and came and told all those sayings. And for sake of time, we're not going to go through it. They go back and tell David this. David gets upset. He says he's going to come down and kill Nabal. And of course, David was in the flesh at that point, And that's not how he should have responded. And we know that Abigail meets David in the way. And Abigail speaks to him and calms him down. And it's a great story. And that's a great sermon for another time. But look at verse 17. I just want you to notice this. When the servants find out that David is coming down to kill, basically, Nabal and all the servants... They go to Nabal's wife. Look at verse 17. We'll just skip it for skip the story for sake of time. And this is what they said. They said, now therefore know and consider what thou wilt do. This is the servants speaking to Abigail, Nabal's wife. For evil is determined against our master and against all his household. For he is such a son of Belial that a man cannot speak to him. You know what they were saying? They were saying Nabal is just a contentious person. You can't approach him. He's always mad. He's always upset. He's always negative. He's never happy. Here he's living in prosperity. Here he's making tons of money and he's still mad and he's still upset and he has this bad attitude about him. Go to 1 Corinthians chapter number 11. 1 Corinthians chapter number 11. And here's a question I have for you men, men in the room. I'll talk to the ladies here in a second. Here's a question I have for you men. Is that you? Because, you know, especially we as men, we have the tendency, if we don't check it, and if we don't control it, we have a tendency to be ne- very negative towards our wife and towards our children. In fact, you don't have to turn there, but in Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 4, the Bible says this, And ye fathers, provoke not your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. The Bible says, fathers, provoke not your children to wrath. If you're a father here this morning, I want you to listen to me very carefully. I want you to listen up. The Bible says, fathers, provoke not your children to wrath. You know what I've noticed in my own life, and I've seen it in the lives of others, is that we as fathers have a tendency to always be negative towards our children, to always act annoyed, to always act like they're a bother, to always act like they're in the way, to always be upset, and always, no matter what they're doing, they're doing it wrong, they're doing it, and God specifically tells us, he says, fathers, provoke not your children to wrath. And look, in your home, dad, don't develop the testimony where your children, if they knew that, you know, if they were asked and they knew that there was no consequences, they were asked, what do you think about dad? I hope the testimony that you're leaving is not. Dad's always mad. That's always upset. That's always, he's on a short fuse. He's always angry. He's always yelling. You know, being a contentious person is a bad testimony for a Christian to have. Are, are you there in 1 Corinthians 11? 
1 Corinthians chapter number 11. I'm not sure if I told you to turn there. Go to 1 Corinthians. You got Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans, 1 Corinthians. If you can keep your place in 1 Corinthians, do it because we're going to leave it and we're going to come back to it. I know I'm saying that a lot, but 1 Corinthians 11. We're looking at a lot of verses this morning. 1 Corinthians 11. Look at verse number 16. Notice what Paul said. 1 Corinthians 11, verse 16. Because some of you are like, well, I thought we were fundamentalists. I thought we were supposed to be contentious and angry and mad all the time, you know. 1 Corinthians eleven sixteen. notice what the Bible says. But if, but if any man, but if any man, notice what Paul said, seem to be contentious, we have no such custom, neither the churches of God. Notice what Paul said, we do not have a custom. Paul said, we do not have a custom of being contentious. We do not have a custom of being argumentative. We do not have a custom of always being mad, of always being angry, of always wanting to fight. And here's what I need you to understand, and please listen to me very carefully. Many people today, do, they, they, they don't understand the difference between being contentious and contending. Yes, it's true. You don't have to turn there. Jude 1.3 says, Beloved, when I gave all diligence to write unto you the common salvation, it was needful for me to write unto you and to exhort you that you should earnestly contend for the faith which was once delivered unto the saints. The Bible says that we, as men of God, need to stand up and earnestly contend for the faith. And when it's about the gospel, and when it's about doctrine, and when it's about right and wrong, we ought to contend, and we ought to be willing to stand up and fight and, and say, This is right, and thus saith the Lord. But look, there's a difference between contending and being contentious. And when you contend, sometimes people assume you're contentious. But when you're contentious, what you are developing is a bad testimony, a bad attitude. You're there in 1 Corinthians. Go, go back to the book of Romans, just one book, one book before. And let, and let me just say this, and I, got, I hate that I have to cover all this, but I have to cover all this or else I get emails or comments or whatever. We're not talking about Fighting the enemies of God. Because you know you'll preach this and then someone will be like, well, you said this about, you know, these filthy sodomites. Or you said this about, you know, these people that hate God. You know, you don't have to turn there, but Psalm 139. You go to Romans. Psalm 139, verse 21 says this. Do not I hate them, O Lord, that hate thee. And am, and am not I grieved with those that rise up against thee. Verse 22, he says this, I hate them with a perfect hatred. I count them mine enemies. When it comes to the enemies of God, when it comes to those who hate God, no, we're not friendly towards them. No, we're not kind to them. No, I hate them with a perfect hatred. That's what, that's what David said. He said, do I not? So don't, don't come back to me and say, well, you said all these things about a, a filthy sodomite. Yeah, you know what? I do hate the pedophile. I do hate the rapist. I do, and you say, well, you're just saying that the sodomites are all pedophiles. You know what? It, when, once you go down the road of doing unnatural sins, you'll do anything. Once your conscience is seared, once you're given over to a reprobate mind. So we're not talking about being friendly to the sodomite, you know, that, 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 that is, is hating God, that's protesting God, that's hating the things of God. We're not, we're talking, look, earnestly contend for the faith. Fight for the things of God. Fight a good fight. But don't let that mentality of contending for the things of God get you so hyped up that you're just mean to your wife. And that you're just mean to your children. And you're always agitated. You're always mad. You're always upset about something. You know, learn to fight the battles of the Lord. And then learn to be kind when you're not fighting. Are you there in Romans chapter 12? Look at verse 18. Romans chapter 12 and verse number 18. Notice what Paul again says. Romans 12, 18. If it be possible, 
if it be possible, as much as life in you, and look, it's not always possible, but he's saying as much as life in you, live peaceably with all men. Our goal should be to try to live at peace with all men. And the context, the context, look at verse 20, just for a little bit of context. He says, therefore, if thine enemy hunger, he says, feed him. If he thirst, give him drink. For in so doing, thou shalt heap coals of fire on his head. Notice, he's not saying if the enemies of God. He's saying a, a personal enemy. If thine enemy, someone that doesn't like you, someone that's against you, if he is hungry, feed him. He's saying, if it lieth in you, as much as lieth in you, live peaceably with all men. So we need to learn to not be contentious. Go to 2 Timothy chapter number 2. 2 Timothy chapter number 2. 2 Timothy chapter number 2. We're also, just so you know, we're going to come back to 2 Timothy. I know, it's too much. But 2 Timothy 2, it's just the way this sermon worked out. 2 Timothy chapter 2. If you find all the T-books, they're all clustered together. 1 2 Thessalonians, 1 2 Timothy, Titus. 2 Timothy chapter 2. Because you know what I've, what I've found a lot in, in churches like ours? And, and praise the Lord that it's not too bad in, in our church. But in churches, in churches like ours, in, 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 in our church we have some of this. And, and in other churches that are like our churches, because we take such a strong stand against sin and against those that hate the Lord, you know what I've learned is that we cause a lot of people to think it's godly to be contentious. And they're always just looking for something to fight about. And always just looking for something to argue about. And always just looking for something to be upset about. 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 23, notice what the Bible says. But foolish and unlearned questions avoid. You know, there are some things that we don't need to argue about. There are some things that we don't need to talk about. There are some questions that need to just be avoided. But foolish and unlearned questions avoid. You say, why? Knowing that they do gender. What does that mean? They bring forth strifes. There are some questions that are asked that the entire goal of the question is just to cause a Facebook fight. There are some questions that are asked that the entire goal of the question is just to get the church into different camps, to get the church fighting about different things. There are some foolish and unlearned questions that simply need to be avoided. Why? Because they gender strife. Look at verse 24. And the servants of the Lord must not strive. Look, the servant of the Lord needs to be someone who's not trying to just argue with people about stupid things. We're not talking about earnestly contend for the faith. If it's something that's important, if it's something that God has told us that we must argue for and fight for in regards to the Word of God, then we do. But there are some things we fight about that we just don't need to fight about. It just, it just doesn't really matter. I don't get this a lot anymore, but I remember I used to get this so much, you know, a couple of years ago, and I don't know if maybe it's faded out or, or maybe people just stopped talking to me about it, but people always wanted to argue with me about, like, well, this guy was a Mason, and that guy was a Mason, and a Mason this, and a Mason that. And I'm like, man, I, I, I didn't catch the Masons in the Bible. You know, and people say, oh, there's stuff, or whatever. Don't send me an email. I don't care. You know, well, I want to argue about the Masons and argue about this, and what do you think about that? You know, it, it doesn't matter. I'm sure there are secret societies and blah, 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 and who cares? Just serve God. You know, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to go soul winning whether there are secret societies or not. And here's what I know. There's a devil. That's, you know, there is a power of the air that's trying to destroy this world. And whether he's using you know, Bill Gates or whatever, you know, I don't know. I don't care. But I'm talking about people just want to argue about these stupid things and just cause fights. 
No, the Bible says that the certain Lord must not strive, but be gentle unto all men, apt to teach patience. Look at verse 25, in meekness. What does it mean to be meek? It means to be gentle. In meekness, instructing those that oppose themselves. And look, we should try to be gentle with people. We should try to, and look, again, we're not talking about the enemies of the Lord. And by the way, you, you know, you say, why are you guys so rough with the enemies of the Lord? Uh, you know, with, with, the, with those, that, the, the, the pedophile sodomites that would hurt children. You know why we're so rough with them? Because we want to be gentle to the children that we're trying to protect. That's why. And there's always two sides to a coin. You know, love hates. And you can't love something without hating something else. And if you're going to protect children, you're going to hate those who would want to take advantage of them. That's why. So actually, the roughness on one end is just a byproduct of the gentleness on the, other hand, on the other hand. But the point is this, that we should not be contentious. We should not be people who want to fight and argue and be mad about everything. And I'm not happy. And I'm not happy. The time, you know. and, and, and again, we're not talking about important things. We're not talking about earnestly contending for that. We're talking about the type of coffee we serve in the break room. Well, I don't think you should serve Starbucks. I think you should serve Folgers. I don't care. I'm not even sure what we serve, you know. I, if people want to argue and fight about things, and they're just like, be mad about something. They're always looking for something to be mad about. You know what? Here's what you need to know about yourself. People don't like you. I'm not trying to hurt your feelings. I'm just trying to help you out. People don't like you. If you're always mad and angry and contentious and contending and upset about something. And here's what I know. Daniel wasn't like that. Daniel had an excellent spirit about him. Even when Daniel said that he would not eat of the king's meat, he did it with a proper attitude. He did it with a good attitude. He went to the king and he went to those in authority and said, you know, and asked, you know, could we, could we do this? Could we not have to eat that? And he kept a good testimony about him. Those are some examples for males. Let me give you one example for a female. You, you go to James. You're there in 2 Timothy. Go to the book of James. 2 Timothy, Titus, Philemon, Hebrews, James. Let me give you one, one example for a female. Proverbs 21.9 says this, It is better to dwell in a corner of the housetop than with a brawling woman in a white house. Listen, ladies, you don't want to be that brawling woman. You don't want to be that woman where your husband's always wrong, where your husband's always doing something wrong, where your husband can't figure it out, where he's all, you always got to be correcting him. You know, and you say, well, I love him, so I'm trying to, you know, and, and you, you talk down to him, and then you wonder why he shuts down. You wonder why he spends his whole time in, you know, in the corner of a garage somewhere, in the corner of an attic somewhere. You don't want to be that woman that's just contentious and always trying to pick him apart and tell him what he did wrong. Look, if he's such a failure, what does that say about you? You're the one that picked him. You could have picked anybody, right? Because you're so awesome. You could have picked anybody and you chose him. So look, just don't be that woman that's always just critical and criticizing and you didn't do that right and you didn't do that right and you didn't do this. And you Look, here, you want your husband to want to spend time with you? Be nice to him. It is better to dwell in the corner of a housetop than with a brawling woman in a wide house. How do we have an excellent spirit? Well, number one, we need to not be contentious. But let me give you a couple, a couple more things. Number two, we must, have, we must not be critical people. We must not be critical people. Critical people have bad attitudes. And again, this comes back to, but we're supposed to judge righteous judgment, and we're supposed to judge the things of the Lord. And yes, we are, and absolutely. And when it's a matter of right and wrong, and when it's a matter of thus saith the Lord, then we are to judge, and we are to judge righteously, and we are to defend the cause of Christ. But, but don't let that leak into you're just always criticizing somebody. Here's what I know. If you're critical, people won't like you. Critical people 
are considered having bad attitudes. Are you there in James 5? Look at verse 9. You see this word grudge? You ever heard about holding a grudge? A grudge is an ill will towards someone where you just don't like. I just don't like. Some of you, you know, you, you haven't said this to me, but you've said this to other people. I just don't like her. I just don't like him. Well, the Bible says grudge not once against another. So you know what? Get your heart right. Because we're not supposed to do that. Grudge not one against another, brethren, lest ye be condemned. Behold, the judge standeth before the door. God says, hey, don't grudge. Don't have ill will one against another. Go to 1 Peter chapter 4. You're there in James. There's one book over. 1 Peter chapter 4. 1 Peter chapter 4. Look at verse 9. 1 Peter chapter 4 and verse 9. 1 Peter 4 9. Notice what he says. Use hospitality one to another without grudging. Use hospitality one to another without grudging. And it's interesting that he connects those two. Because look, there's a very, there's a very thin line between being hospitable, being kind to people, and towards everyone, and just using hospitality as a tool against someone. You know, when you're just like, well, I'm, the, I'm real hospitable. I, I go around and I say hi to everybody except that one person. You're not hospitable. You're grudging. You're using that as a tool to try to bring some, you know, try to put someone uh, away, to try to make them feel discluded. You know, he says, use hospitality one with another without grudging, without ill will. You should be willing to shake everyone's hand. You should be willing to greet everybody. You should be willing to spend time with everybody. You should be willing to be friends with everybody. That's what the Bible says. Critical people have bad attitudes. Go to 3 John. 3 John. You're there in 2 Peter. You're going to go past 1 John, 2 John, 3 John. 2 Peter, 1 John, 2 John, 3 John. Now, why are people critical? Why are people critical? And this is the longest point of the sermon. The next two points will go fast, but let me just get this, get, get this all out of the way. Why are people critical? It comes down to one thing. People are critical. And, and again, what do we mean by critical? We're talking about the person who's always criticizing. I don't like this about her. I don't like this about them. Look, if it's your sphere of authority, if it's, if it's within your realm of authority, then deal with it. And if it's not within your realm of authority, then shut up. I don't think he should let his wife. Well, you didn't marry her. So why don't you worry about your wife and let him deal with his wife? Do you understand what I'm saying? Well, I don't think pastors should be running the church. Well, when you're running a church, then you do it the way you think it should be done. But God didn't call you to pastor this church. I'm pastoring this church. And, you know, I'm going to do my best to do it the way God has called us to do it. But you know why people criticize? Here's why people criticize. They don't criticize because they really care what's going on. People criticize for one reason. They try to make others look bad so that they can look good. It's actually kind of sad because people who are critical, people who are critical are are very uh, self-conscious. They they don't think they have enough. They don't think think that just what they do is enough to be loved and respected and impressed. So they have to like tear people down to try to make themselves look good. Well, if I were the pastor's wife, you know, she does this and this, but if I did it, okay, yeah, you're awesome. You're great. You know, when you're the pastor's wife, you do it that way. Third John 1, 9, look at what he says. I wrote unto the church, but Diotrephes, notice a characteristic about Diotrephes, who loveth to have the preeminence. 
Diotrephes wanted to always have the preeminence. He wanted to be the one. He wanted to be the one that was respected. He wanted to be the one that was looked at. He wanted to be the one with the influence. He wanted to be the one that people looked at and said, look at how wonderful he is. Look at how spiritual he is. Look at how great he is. Who loveth to have the preeminence among them, receiveth us not. Now notice, a person who always wants to look good, notice what they do. Wherefore, if I come, I will remember his deeds which he doeth. Notice, prating against us with malicious words. What does somebody do who wants to have the preeminence? They look at leaders like John and they bring them down. They are prating. The word prating means to talk foolishly against us with malicious words. And just listen to me very carefully. When you, have, when you find someone, when you have a friend, when you have a church member who's just constantly criticizing other people, they're not doing it right, they should do it this way, I don't like this, I don't like that, just realize you are dealing with a very insecure person. They do not feel like they've got whatever it takes, whatever that means to be loved and respected for what they're doing, so they just constantly have to be bringing people down, and they desire preeminence to do it. And here's all I'm telling you. Here's all I'm telling you. To your face, people may act like they like you, but here's what you need to know. They don't. Because nobody likes someone who's contentious, and nobody likes someone who's critical. Let me give you one more. Go to Numbers chapter number 11. Numbers chapter number 11. Go to, in the Old Testament, you got Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers. Numbers chapter number 11. Numbers chapter number 11. Look at verse 1. I'm trying to talk to you about how to have a good attitude. Look, if you are contentious, you have a bad attitude. People don't like it, and it's a bad testimony. If you are critical, people don't like it, and it's a bad testimony to our Lord Jesus Christ. One more. Complaining. Complaining people have bad attitudes. Complaining people are a bad testimony. Let me explain something to you. Nobody likes a complainer. Oh, well, people don't say anything to me. Yeah, but they're thinking it. Numbers 11 and verse 1. Notice what the Bible says. And there's lots of verses on this. I'm just going to pick one. Numbers 11, 1. And when the people complained, and when the people complained, notice the reaction. It displeased the Lord. When the people complained, it displeased the Lord. And the Lord heard it, and his anger was kindled, and the fire of the Lord burnt among them, and consumed them that were in the uttermost part of the camp. And I'm going to just say this. If you complain a lot, if you complain a lot, people don't like you. It's a bad testimony. It's a bad testimony of the Lord Jesus Christ. And here's the sad thing about people who complain a lot is that they often don't know they complain a lot. So you really have to watch yourself. You need to listen to yourself. Some of you need to listen to the words that come out of your mouth. And here's the problem. Because contentious people, critical people, complaining people always have an underlying problem of pride-filled people. So don't listen to your words, because you listen to your words and you say, well, they're awesome. I think I'm the most awesome person on earth. Okay, Listen to your words, but imagine them coming out of somebody else's mouth. And ask yourself, do I like that? Well, I don't like it when they complain. Well, then they, they don't like it when you complain either. And they don't like it when you're critical either. And they don't like it when you're contentious either. And one thing we learn about Daniel, make your way back to Daniel. The way that he stewarded his testimony properly is that he kept an excellent spirit. His attitude was right. And how did he do it? By not being contentious, by not being critical, by not being a complainer, by having a good attitude with people. But number two, and that was a lar- the, the biggest point of this sermon, right? The next point will go fairly quickly. Not only did Daniel have a, an attitude that was right, but number two... Daniel had conduct that was right. 
It's not enough to have a good attitude. Because some of you are like, well, I have a great attitude. People like me. I don't complain. I'm not critical. I'm not contentious. I'm pretty easygoing. I'm gentle with people. If I have to disagree about something, I ask myself, is this worth disagreeing about? Is this worth fighting about? If it is, then I approach them in a gentle manner. If it's not, then I leave it alone. You say, I'm really good, you know, with, with having an excellent spirit. Okay, well, that's not enough. Not only does your attitude need to be right, but also your conduct needs to be right. His conduct was reliable. Notice what they said about Daniel. Daniel chapter 6, verse 4. Notice what he says. Then the president and princes sought to find occasion against Daniel concerning the kingdom, but they could not find none occasion or fault. Notice what they say. For as much as he was faithful. Keep in mind that this is the enemies of Daniel. And they are saying, this guy is a faithful guy. For as much as he was faithful. Now, what does it mean to be faithful? It means to be trustworthy. It means that you can be relied upon. Did you keep your place in 1 Corinthians 4? I'm not sure if you did. But if you did, go back to 1 Corinthians 4. 1 Corinthians chapter 4. Now we're talking about stewardship, right? The stewardship of life. That's what we've been talking about. Well, notice the Bible says that they said about Daniel that he was faithful. For as much as he was faithful. In 1 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 2, the Bible says this. Moreover, it is required in stewards that a man be found, notice the word, faithful. Faithful and faithfulness must be a characteristic of your life if you desire to have a good testimony. If you want to have that good name that's rather to be chosen than great riches, if you want to have that good name that's rather to be chosen than precious ointment, then you not only need to be someone who has a good attitude and an excellent spirit, but you need to be someone whose conduct is reliable, someone who's trustworthy, someone who we can trust, who we can rely upon. When you say something, you do it. When you commit to something, you actually do it. And look, we all, we all fail at this from time to time, and things happen, and we get that. We're all, you know, miss an appointment or are late to an appointment. But listen, when you miss an appointment or you're late to an appointment, that should be something that happens rarely. There's some people, they tell me, I'm going to be there at 7, and I I just know they'll be there at 7.20. Because they don't do what they say. They're always like, oh, I'm going to show up to this, and, and they don't show up, and it's like, yeah, I didn't really expect them to. And they have a reputation of being that guy, being that girl, being that lady. You can't really trust what they say. They say they're going to do this. Maybe they will. Who knows? Look, Daniel was not that man. They said of Daniel, he was faithful. And here's what you need to understand. Faithful people are few and far between. Did you keep your place in Proverbs? Go to Proverbs chapter 20. Proverbs chapter 20, verse 6. You know what you have to do to shine at work? Let me give you just a hint. Because, Because our culture has raised such lazy and irresponsible people in our society... All, look, all you need to do to stand out at work is to show up early, tuck your shirt in, and, and work hard, and you're like the most amazing superstar they've ever had. Because most people struggle with having, just trying to get people to show up on time. Just, man, if I can just get these guys to show up on time, if I can just get my workers to show up on time. You know, you want to be a rock star at work, just show up on time. Tuck your shirt in, work hard. It's not that hard to have a good testimony. Proverbs chapter 20 and verse 6, notice what the Bible says. Most men will proclaim everyone his own goodness. That's all the other guys. Most men will proclaim everyone his own goodness. Everyone wants to tell you how good they are, how great they are. Look at what I did. Look at what I'm doing. And notice this and notice that. Say, I need an example of that. Check out Facebook. 
Most men will proclaim everyone his own goodness. But a faithful man, who can find? You know what? Faithful people are few and far between. Proverbs 25 and verse 13. Just a few pages over. Go to Proverbs 25, verse 13. Proverbs 25 and verse 13. As the cold of snow in the time of harvest, so is a faithful messenger to them that send him. For he refresheth the soul of his master. You know, we're told here that someone who actually does what they say they're going to do, it's that they're like a refresh, they're like a ref, they're like a breath of fresh air. They're like cold water in the summertime. Why? Because faithful people are few and far between. And you know what? It says a lot about your testimony. If people could say, there is a faithful man. There is a faithful woman. There is someone who's trustworthy. Go, look at verse 19, same chapter. Proverbs 25 and verse 19. The Bible says this. Confidence in an unfaithful man in time of trouble is like a broken tooth and a foot out of joint. Is that the testimony you want? Do you want your boss? Do you want your wife? Do you want your pastor to say, oh, man, confidence in an unfaithful man in time of trouble. I don't know if we can trust him. I don't know if we can trust her. I don't know if we can count on them. I don't know if we can rely on them. This says a lot about your character. And kids, listen up. Please listen up. Make sure you develop the type of character that people will say, he is a man of his word. She is a woman of her word. When they say they're going to do something, they do it. And look, I understand things happen, and we all get flat tires and car accidents and things like that, but those things should be rare. And by and large, it should be said, when they commit to something, when they, hey, how about this? You commit to a certain ministry at Verity Baptist Church, why don't you actually show up and do it? I'm not trying to hurt your feet. I'm just telling you, it says a lot about your testimony, and I'm not picking on any one person because we deal with this all the time. People, oh, I want to I commit to Okay, well, make sure you show up. Make sure you actually do it. Make sure we can trust you. Make sure we can actually count on you. Make sure we can rely on you because all of that is part of having a good testimony before God and man. He was trustworthy. Not only that, notice he was blameless. Go, to, go back to Daniel chapter 6. Daniel chapter 6. Daniel chapter 6. Look at verse 4. Daniel chapter 6 and verse 4. Daniel chapter 6 and verse 4. Daniel chapter 6 and verse 4. Notice what the Bible says. And the presidents and princes sought to find occasion against Daniel concerning the kingdom, but they could find none occasion or fault. Notice, they could find none occasion or fault. They're looking over the timesheets, trying to figure out when he was late to work, and they couldn't find it. They're, they're looking over the timesheets, trying to see when he took an extra uh, a long lunch break. They couldn't find it. They were, trying to, they were going over everything and trying to figure out where this guy messed up, where he did wrong, where they could throw it in his face, and they could find none occasion or fault. For as much as he was faithful, neither was there any error or fault found in him. Listen to me very carefully. When you show up to work and you announce that you're a Christian, there is a target on your back. And if you do what everybody else does, they don't care about everybody else. They're like, oh, that, that, that's, that's what you can expect from a Christian. Well, everybody else was late. Yeah, make sure you're not late. Because when you call yourself a Christian, you're not representing the Lord Jesus Christ. We're supposed to work as unto the Lord, not to men. 
well, they don't pay me enough, and I think I deserve... No, no, no. You make sure you represent the Lord Jesus Christ properly. Go to 1 Samuel 18. Did you keep your place there? 1 Samuel. Go to 1 Samuel 18. He was blameless. There was neither any error or fault found in him. Listen to me. Please listen to me. You need to be careful with your conduct. You need to be careful with your actions. You need to be careful with the things you say, the things you do, the things you're perceived as agreeing with. There are times, look, you know, my wife and I have had to learn in our position as a pastor and as a pastor's wife, we can't always get people to stop talking about certain things, but there are times when we have to just walk away from a conversation because I, I just can't be seen. Seeming as if I'm talking about this. Do you understand that? And in your position, as a Christian, you better make sure you maintain a good testimony. Where people would say, I tried to find something he did wrong, and I just couldn't. He's just blameless. 1 Samuel 18, look at verse 5. Notice what the Bible says about David. And David went out whithersoever Saul sent him and behaved himself wisely. You see that? He behaved himself wisely. And Saul sent him over the men of war. And he was accepted in the sight of all the people and also in the sight of Saul's servants. See, David understood that he was living in a glass house. David understood that he was being seen by those that were following him, that he was being seen by those that were put under his authority. And the Bible says that he behaved himself wisely. Look at verse 12. And Saul was afraid of David because the Lord was with him and was departed from Saul. Therefore, Saul removed him from him and made him his captain over a thousand. And he went out and came in before the people. Talking about David. He went out and came in before the people. Notice verse 14. And David behaved himself wisely in all his ways. And the Lord was with him. Wherefore, when Saul saw that he behaved himself very wisely, he was afraid of him. You ought to have such a great testimony that your enemies are scared. That your enemies are afraid. That your enemies say, man, we can't, we can't even find an accusation against him. He's so good. Look at verse 15. Wherefore, when Saul, uh, I'm sorry, verse 16. But all Israel and Judah loved David because he went out and came in before them. Look at verse 30, same chapter. Then the princes and the Philistines went forth, and it came to pass after they went forth that David behaved himself more wisely than all the servants of Saul, so that his name was much set by. See, David cared a lot about his reputation. David cared a lot about, about his name. David cared a lot about what people thought of him, not because he was filled with pride, because he wanted to represent the Lord. He wanted to represent God well. And it says there that he behaved himself more wisely. Look, you got to be better. I said this already, but they said about Daniel and his friends that they were 10 times better. Listen to me, young people. You need to be 10 times better than those worldly teenagers. We need to be 10 times better employees at our job than the world. What, what to God, it's never said. Look, it should be said at your job. You know, I don't like you. I don't like what you believe. I don't like what you think about the homos. I don't like your hard preaching, but I would hire someone else just like you. I don't like your stand, but you're a good worker. You know, your bosses should be approaching you saying, are there any more guys at your church like that? Not, not that someone shows up and, and uses your name as a reference, and they're like, oh, man, if you're a Christian like that Christian, we got enough. If you're anything like that guy, no thank you. You know, your name should be much set by. You should behave yourself in an excellent way. You should behave yourself in a way that is Proper. Go to Proverbs chapter 20. Proverbs chapter 20. Proverbs chapter 20. Let me just give a quick word. We, have, we got about seven guys 
in our church that are training for the ministry, Lord willing, one day they might make it into the ministry if, if they show themselves faithful. But let me just talk to you guys. You guys that want to go in ministry, you need to be more wise than other people. You and your wife and your children need to be a step above everybody else. Because you know what I found as a pastor? I have found that people judge me and my family way harsher than anybody else. I mean, if, if my children, you know, happen to just do something bad, it's like, your kids all did it, but if my kids did it, it's like the end of the world, you know? And, and I'm not mad about that. That's what it is. It's just, it is what it is. It's part of being in leadership. It's part of being in that glass house. And look, the Bible even says in Proverbs chapter 20, look at verse 11, even a child... Even a child is known by his doings. Even a child is known by his doings, whether his work be pure or whether it be right. And, you know, we have conversations with our own children. And, and, and you may think it's not fair and we try to do it properly. I've had conversations with my children where I've sat them down and said, listen, son, listen, honey, I know it's not fair, but you are in the family of the pastor. And I don't care what the other kids do. You can't do that. I say, well, that's not fair. You know what? Life's not fair. And if you want to have a measure of influence, if you want to have the hand of God upon your life, if you want God to use you, if you want to be a David, then you're going to have to be more wise than the other servants of Saul. That your name may be set by. That you might have a good testimony. And please, please listen to me. All kids mess up. All kids do things they shouldn't do. Don't come down too hard on, on any child. You know? But let me say this. You parents, your job is to help steward the testimony of your children. Because even a child is known by his doings. And we need to begin to help our children to have the right testimony and to be cognizant of the fact that what do people think about you? You don't want to have a bad testimony, son. You don't want to have a bad testimony, daughter. You don't want to be the one. You know, you don't want to be the one where people say, oh, that's, that's a bad kid or that's a rebellious kid or that's a rowdy kid. Even a child is known by his doings. And our job is to try to help them. And listen to me, parents, because here's what parents do. Every, every parent, including me, looks at their ugly kid and think it's just the most beautiful thing. I look at my ugly children, I think my ugly children are better looking than your ugly children. And you think your ugly children are better looking than I, my ugly children. And I look at your ugly children and I think, wow, that's pretty ugly. And you look at mine and you say the same thing. Right, let's just be honest, right? You think your kids are more beautiful than mine and I don't see how you think that, but I think my kids are more beautiful than yours. And we have a tendency to look past, you know, we see all the other kids being bad, but my kids, you know, are just misunderstood. You know, be careful about that and make sure you're not turning a, a blind eye to your own children and make sure you are helping them steward their reputations for the glory of God. And it's fine to think that your kids are the greatest thing in the world. That's great. Amen. Praise the Lord. I think every dad should think that about his, I think every dad should think that his daughter is the most beautiful princess. But make sure you're not allowing them to act like a bratty princess, to act like a bratty prince. We need to help them steward their relationships. Go, go back to Daniel chapter 6. Not only was Daniel, not only was Daniel a man who was faithful, and not only was Daniel, he was trustworthy, and he was blameless. But I want you to just notice one more thing. He was a hard worker. He was a hard worker. The testimony of a Christian should be that there is a hard worker. There is someone that when they get set their hands on something to do it, they do it with all their might. They're not lazy. You say, how do you, how do you know that Daniel was a hard worker? Well, Daniel chapter 6, verse 1. 
And it pleased Darius to set him over the kingdom. And 120 princes, which should be over the whole kingdom, and over these three princes, of whom Daniel was first, that the prince might give account unto them, and the king should have no damage. Look at verse 3. Then this Daniel was preferred above the presidents and princes, because an excellent spirit was in him, and the king thought to set him over the whole realm. See, Daniel was promoted. You say, how does that prove that he was a hard worker? We'll go to Proverbs 22. Proverbs 22. Because Daniel was godly. I don't think Daniel was promoted because he was a suck-up or he was a flatterer. Proverbs 22 and verse 29 says this, Seest thou a man diligent in his business? Seest thou a man diligent in his business? He shall stand before kings. He shall not stand before mean men. You want a promotion at work? Work hard. You say, well, look, the world, you know how the world gets promotions? By being contentious, by being critical, by being a complainer. They get promotions by, by telling, you know, well, look at what they did and, and highlighting all the faults in everybody else and, you know, pr- having the preeminence. Let that not be said of you. As a Christian, you know, you ought to get promoted. You know, you ought to get promoted because you're just a hard worker. Because you're someone that can be trusted. Because you're someone that can be relied upon. Because you can be counted on. Because you're blameless. And that doesn't mean you're perfect. It just means to the best of your ability, you're trying to maintain a good testimony. So we saw, number one, his attitude was right. And we saw, number two, his conduct was reliable. Number three this morning, and we're we're done. We're going to look at three verses and we're done, all right? Daniel chapter 6. I'm sorry, four verses. We're going to look at two here in Daniel. Daniel chapter 6. You're like, oh, see, we can't trust you. Okay, I'm sorry. Daniel chapter 6. Not only was his attitude right, not only was his conduct reliable, but number three, his walk with God was real. His walk with God was real. Look at verse 5. Then said these men, we shall not find an occasion against this Daniel. Notice what they said. This is his enemies talking. Notice what they said. Except we find it against him concerning the law of his God. Don't miss that. That's quite a statement there. They said, we shall not find any occasion against Daniel. We're not going to find where he was committing adultery. We're not going to find where he was getting drunk. We're not going to find where he was doing something bad. We're not going to find where he was stealing from the king. We're not going to find where he's trying to usurp his authority. If we're going to find something against Daniel, we're going to have to find it concerning the law of his God. Isn't that interesting? Look at verse 16, same chapter. Daniel chapter 6, verse 16. Then the king commanded, and they brought Daniel and cast him into the den of lions. Now the king spake and said unto Daniel, Thy God, whom thou servest continually, he will deliver thee. He will deliver thee. You know what they knew about Daniel? They knew this, that his walk with God was real. When they saw Daniel prayed, he wasn't doing it for a show. He was doing it because he loved God. And they knew that if they made it illegal to pray, that he would continue to pray because he was real. He was authentic. His, he was the real deal. He was a genuine guy. He actually loved the Lord. Go to 2 Timothy chapter 3. 2 Timothy chapter 3. If you kept your place there in 1 and 2 Timothy, 2 Timothy chapter 3. Let me ask you a question. Do people know your walk is real? Do people say, man, there, there goes, you know what? I can tell you all sorts of things about Christian, but there goes a real Christian right there. You know her? She's real. It's not just a facade for her. It's not just fake for her. It's a genuine walk with God that she has. That's what they said about Daniel. 
They said the only way we're going to get this guy in trouble is if we make what God told him to do illegal. That's the only way we're going to get him in trouble. And that's what they did. They outlawed prayer. Daniel prayed every day. You know what he did after they outlawed it? He prayed. And let me tell you something. Make sure that whatever you're doing for God, you'll do it whether it's legal or not. I'm the greatest soul winner ever. Well, when they outlaw soul winning, are you going to quit? Peter said we ought to obey God rather than men. Look, what we're doing for God, and we're, I'm talking about being foolish, but what we're doing for God, make sure it's coming from a genuine heart, that it's real. 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 10, notice what Paul said. He said, but thou hast fully known my doctrine, and, don't miss this, notice what he says, manner of life. He says, you know everything I believe, and you know everything about me. Paul could say, I'm real. Daniel could say, I'm real. Here's a question I have for you. Are you real? If your enemies came against you, would they find all sorts of things to bring up against you? Or would they say, man, you know what? He's not perfect, but I can't find any error in him. He does what he says he's going to do. He's real. He actually does what he says. He walks what he preaches. Paul said, but thou hast fully known my doctrine, manner of life, purpose, faith, long-suffering, charity, patience. Go to Ecclesiastes chapter 7. That's the last place we'll go to. If you're there in Proverbs, you got your place in Proverbs. Right after Proverbs, you got Ecclesiastes. See, here's what you need to understand. It takes a lot of work to maintain a good testimony. Doesn't it? I mean, you have to make sure you're not contentious. You have to make sure you're not critical. You have to make sure you're not complaining. You have to make sure that you have a good attitude and your attitude is right and that your conduct is reliable and that your walk with God is real and genuine. It takes a lot of work. It takes a lot of work. And some of you may be here this morning and you're thinking, oh, he, you know, he said that because of me or he said that because of you or whatever. Look, my job as a pastor, I'm not trying to hurt your feelings, but my job as a pastor is to try to help you become better than you are. And I know you guys all like it when I'm ripping on the homos, and you all like it when I'm ripping on everybody else. It's not you, but you know, when it's, when it's you, that's what you need. Amen. And that's what you need to deal with. And, that, and, you, and if, look, you're here this morning, and you've got that critical, bitter heart, then deal with it. You're that contentious, angry. Deal with it. And look, I know it's hard. I know it's easy for us as males to just see our children as, you know, they're always in our way, and they're always not doing it right. And here, let me, I'll, I'll hammer that in. You're not doing it right. Now be careful not to have that attitude. Be careful to be loving and gentle and stand up and contend when it's needed and be kind and loving when it's not. It's very hard to steward and to maintain a good testimony. But let me let you in on a little secret. It's extremely easy to destroy your testimony. Ecclesiastes chapter 10, verse 1. Look at it. It's the last place we'll look at. Ecclesiastes chapter 10, 1. Dead flies cause the ointment of the apothecary to send forth a stinking savor. The ointment of the apothecary. This was an ointment that was used for healing. It's an ointment that smelled good. It was an ointment that people would like. But you know what? Dead flies, when dead flies were allowed to be part of this ointment, it would begin to stink. Notice what he says. He uses that as an illustration. So doth. He says, in the same way, a little folly, him that is in reputation for wisdom and honor. See, it's a lot of work. It's a lot of work to develop a good testimony, and it's easy to destroy it very fast. 
All it takes is one wrong word, one bad attitude, one wrong website, one sin. You say, well, you you know, David. David could have gone, gone down in history as the man that killed Goliath. And now he goes down in history as the man that killed Goliath and had that adultery with Bathsheba. And David worked really hard on his testimony, worked really hard on his testimony, worked really hard to maintain it. And folly destroyed it. It's really hard to maintain. It's really hard to build up. It's really hard to steward a good testimony. It's really easy to destroy it. So don't let a little sin. Don't let a little folly. Don't let just a few dead flies destroy him that is in reputation for wisdom and honor. What does that mean? That means they have a good testimony. You say, I didn't even know I had a testimony. I hope you know you've got a testimony. You represent the Lord Jesus Christ everywhere you go, in this building, at your job, at home, with your family, in the neighborhood. You represent the Lord Jesus Christ. And look, if people want to accuse you of being contentious and angry. Let them do it when you're fighting the battles of the Lord. But make sure they're not doing it because you're mistreating your wife. And let let me tell you something. You guys, and you ladies too, how you treat your spouse in public says a lot about you. If there's one thing that my wife and I are constantly looking for is how people treat their spouse. Because here's what I know. Here's what I know. If you treat them like that in front of me, I can only imagine how you treat them behind closed doors. People are usually on their best behavior when they're with the pastor and the pastor's wife. And I'm just thinking, if she says that about him to us, I can only imagine how she talks to him at home. If he treats her like that in front of us, I can only imagine how he treats her at home. Steward your testimony. Steward your testimony. It's a lot of work. But you could be a Daniel. You could be someone that use their testimony to influence kingdoms and people all over the world. But you can destroy it like that. That's about it. Heavenly Father, thank you, Lord, for your word. Thank you for the Bible.